Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide, a CatSource production. In this NFT Web3 episode, I chat with Michael Christine, aka Ted and Lawyer. Michael is one of the founders and owners of Outcast, a project for the metaverse, play to earn games, an anime series, and an NFT marketplace. Michael is also an attorney based in Miami, Florida. We get into what is an NFT, but we go deeper, taking on topics like how artists can get started with NFTs, the future of buying houses, podcasting in the metaverse, smart contracts, how we fall for our sports teams, blockchain technology, enabling kids to create NFTs, anime, and much more. This is one of those conversations I've been so excited to have, and Michael Christine, aka Tatted Lawyer, did not disappoint. Learn more about Outcast at outcast.world. And to check out more content like this, visit sportse.io. Now for my conversation with Michael Christine. But you being from Buffalo, I'm so sorry. I was yeah. rooting hard for I was rooting so hard for you guys. The NFL yeah. needs to change their rules. That's crazy, man. It's so funny because like I was saying how when teams lose, like the non-fans are always like excited, right? But when the Bills lose, it's like, man, I'm just so sorry. Another heartbreaker. <laughs> it's just it, it's, it's just part of it. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. So yeah. like I'm okay. We won like kind of recently. So you know, I can I can ride this wave of mediocrity again right. for a while. Yeah. But like I do feel for you. I am pushing for you. Like when you're in the playoffs and I'm not, I'm like, come yeah. on. Like you, you deserve it. The Bills do. They're like the they just find a way though. And like, and I get it. I agree that the overtime rules are stupid because the games will just be so much... They're kind of anticlimactic in a way. But at the same time, the Bills had every opportunity to win the game. So I don't... I think it can be both. Like I think the overtime rules can be bad. And I think the Bills should have won that game. And they blew it. And I think the coaches just let them down, honestly. I agree. Hey, well, next year. Next year. It's always next year. If the Broncos don't take it, which (laughs) I don't have that much confidence in our coaching staff, then you know... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. So you're Denver because I see you with a lot of Nuggets gear, and we're just going to keep rolling yes. from here. But your Nuggets gear, like, what's up? Are you from? Like, what's your yeah. connection to Denver? Um, so I'm from upstate New York, and when I was very, very little, I was the uh, a ring bearer in a wedding. I was like maybe four or five years old. Somebody gave the person whose wedding it was gave me a Broncos jersey as a gift, and then when I grew up to the age of liking sports, I'm like, well, I already have a Broncos jersey. Why don't I become a Broncos fan? And then when I rose to the level of liking the NBA, I was like, well, I'm already a Broncos fan. Then why don't I become a Nuggets fan? So essentially, it just articulated from there. And I'm now a diehard Denver Broncos, Denver Nuggets fan, like through and through. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think it's so interesting how, like, you know, it's so weird. You could be born in a city and it's like somehow you take on that identity of like, that's your team. And in Buffalo, it's definitely like that. And a lot of it has to do generations, right? You grow up and your parents are taking you a game or they're always on TV, especially at different years. Like nowadays, you can like be a fan of any team and watch every single game 
at any level. I mean, it's crazy how much content is out there of like college basketball. Even I'm like, who is this? You go to the ESPN plus app and it's like, you can watch any college basketball game at any time, anywhere. And so it's interesting though, how like you see that, like the color of the Jersey, the logo, someone gifted Mm -hmm. you something. I had that with Georgetown when I was a kid. I'm from Buffalo and I was a Georgetown basketball fan. People were like, are you crazy? Like Syracuse is right down the road, but I got a Georgetown sweatshirt and I'm like, that was it. And then Alonzo morning shows up and Alan Iverson, you're just like, I'm in. (laughs) And so it's just interesting how that happens. And so often it's like, it's the city you're from where you have the bandwagon fans are like, I'm going to, you know, John Elway and Terrell Davis, right. That it's like, ah, it's a convenient time to be a fan. But but when you're young, (laughs) you don't care about that. Right. You just take it on. And I think there's like, I think it's awesome. Right. And it's like, has a way then of you like probably meeting other people that are Denver Nuggets fans. And like, you have an instant connection with those people. It becomes this like sense of community. And I was actually in Denver back in September and it was just such a, such a nice feeling going into a bar and seeing other people wearing Denver gear because where I'm from, I, you never see that. So it was just like this like surreal feeling. I was like, I'm surrounded by my people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to ask you this. I'm trying to get as, you know, we had heard about you and some connections, right? And then we're on this podcast. So I'm like doing some research and learn. And I'm like all about like this NFT world. Like I want it to be advanced yet also like let's explain what this is but like i'm fascinated because we have a client and more of a friend and a partnership that we work with he's an attorney and he starts creating content in his law firm that he was at this is like some years ago we're like just so against content like blogs right podcasts they couldn't wrap their head around it right because it's it's a very i have an insurance business as well and these industries are very antique, right? Antiquated, like all these things. And they can't can't keep up and it takes certain types of people to just push past that. Right. So I see like tatted lawyer. I see TikTok videos. I see you just being who you are. And then you start seeing like anime stuff, like what's going on with this NFT. And I'm like telling, I have three kids. My youngest daughter loves anime. And I'm like, I'm talking to this guy who's like in the NFT world and she's starting to like, what is that kind of thing? And then there's like just anime background to it all. Like I'm fascinated by it, but like help me wrap and anyone who's listening, like wrap our heads around like who you are and what you're about. Of course, of course. So being from upstate New York, I've always somewhat stuck out like a sore thumb as a black young man in a very, very, I would say that the demographic skew about 95% white which is obviously there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, I always stuck out like a sore thumb almost everywhere I went. So being kind of different was essentially something I've always had to deal with my whole life. And for a long time, I tried to fight my differences. So like I have maybe, I have like 2% Irish in my blood. And, and when I remember in high school, I'd be like, oh, I'm Irish, you know what I mean? To try to fit in until I matured a little bit and started to embrace my differences and like really, really find out who I am as a person and really run with that. And that's kind of exactly what you said in terms of like being the tatted lawyer. So I had people all the time, including you know family members, friends, essentially saying, you'll never get a job. You'll never make it as an attorney if you get tattoos, because essentially it's like a death sentence for your career. And then all these years later, I've now been awarded top 40 under 40 Black attorneys in the country on two separate occasions. So it's one of those like, I've always strive to, to create this idea that it doesn't really matter what you look like. That doesn't affect the work that you can do. And that's something that I've really tried to advocate for and really try to push out there 
to essentially change these stereotypes that people have of like, oh, if you look a certain way, you are going to act a certain way. And that's, and that's not true. And that's actually leads me into the, what we wanted to do with our metaverse, because that is what I see this beauty in terms of the metaverse and what it can grow and evolve to being. Because right now people are like, oh, you know, what is the metaverse? It's this or that. But the way we see it is like, we can create this essentially universe that anybody, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, if you have a disability, if you have, if you're tall, if you're short, it doesn't matter. You can be whoever you want in this metaverse. And that's like the really, really interesting part about it because a lot of people don't like the hand they're dealt, as they say, in terms of life. And a lot of people use gaming or anime or movies to like escape the real world. So it's kind of like, what if we were able to provide an environment that wasn't essentially only escapism, but it also enabled these people to really become whoever they truly wanted to be from the onset. And you really see that exemplified in the gaming world already in games like World of Warcraft, where people are like a level 10 mage or something like that. It's like they were able to create this character of who they wanted to be and, and grow this character and find value in growing this character. That's kind of the experience that we want to be able to provide to people. Because if, if you're pigeonholed, you know, and oftentimes we are in, in, in real life society, people start to get down, people start to get depressed, people start to get anxious, people turn to drugs, people turn to, you know, all kinds of different things to try to deal with that. So it's kind of like having this, this new space where you can now be whoever you want, like join this community, be a part of like this, this thing that's bigger than yourself and it's on your own terms. It's like, why would we not want to like go full speed ahead and trying to create something like this? Yeah. You touched on a few things, right? Because like you were saying that you stuck out and then you're talking about like how you can be who you want to be. This is getting in and this is a big topic right now is mental health, right? to where you're seeing how this could help someone else. Did you deal with, or do you know if you dealt with mental health issues, right? Growing up with everything that you talked about before, because clearly there's a passion and an energy behind what it is that you're doing to, you don't want other people to have to deal with this type of stuff because you know there's an outlet there somewhere for them. Oh, 100%. I dealt with a lot of things growing up. It's funny, I'm probably the most extroverted introvert you'll ever meet because essentially I had to, growing up, I was excluded from the group or I would possibly be the butt of the joke, but not because they didn't like me. It's just because I was literally the different one. You know what I mean? Right. And that's just, that's just easy, how kids yeah. are. Yeah. As I was growing up, it took me a while to really like gain that idea that it's okay to be me and to really lean forward into that. And I remember, I think the moment that I actually started realizing it was was when I went to college and I got out of my hometown and you were like, okay, you see that there's a lot more out there than what you just grew up knowing. And so to personally internalize it a little more, yes, I definitely struggled with some things here and there in terms of acceptance. And that's why it's like, if I had like a space that I could go to, kind of like a metaverse, then that would help. And I grew up as a gamer. So like I would lose myself in Halo 2 and I would lose myself in games like that because you had these guilds, you had these communities that accepted you no matter... like They didn't ask those questions of, oh, who you are? What do you look like? They didn't care. They just wanted to talk to you, hear your voice, and like they wanted you to be good at the game. <laughs> right. Right. That's all that mattered. So the NFT, Outcast, right? Yes. Outcast.world, if you're looking it up. I mean, I go to the website. It just stands out, right? It's so artistic. It's so well done. 
It's easy to navigate. There's tons to learn in there. It's also, there's you get into the complicated stuff as well. So it's like, I think it's for all the different levels of people because that's what you're going to get, right? You're going to be people like, I'm just wanting to learn about this community. Like, what does this even mean? What is NFT? What is Web3? What are smart contracts? Like, and it just goes on and on from there. So I'm super impressed by it. And then you're this lawyer. And like, we talked about some of these things, like how did Outcast come to be? Because there's other people involved with this as well. How does that happen? So first off, can't take all the credit at all. I have three other business partners and they are all wonderful. We're actually spread across the world. So two of my business partners who live in the Philippines, they essentially came up with this idea of like, this is the outcast. Because in the Philippines, outcast is often spelled with a K or a C. So it's, it's interchangeable. So it's funny, when we're picking the word or excuse the spelling of the outcast, they actually had no idea of like the other inclinations into that word outcast, which I won't yeah. go into on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have never even heard of these people. They just did it because it kind of exemplifies exactly who we are as people. So we, we all grew up as diehard anime fans. And up until, let's say, three years ago, anime was a very taboo subject, especially as an adult, because <laughs> people would say, you're over there just watching cartoons. Like it's not societally acceptable. But now anime is becoming this popular medium. So it's like people like myself are essentially coming out of the darkness and we're like, oh, yes, we've been here for years. So that, in that regard, you're, you're completely right in terms of like the outcast exemplifies this like idea that you don't have to be what society expects you to be. Like you can be your own person. And that even goes even deeper in our custom layer two sidechain that we've developed for this metaverse that we're developing. It's called the Malaya sidechain, spelled M-A-L-I-A. And Malaya stands for the word freedom in the Philippines. So it's essentially like you're, the theme of everything is you're essentially free to be yourself and be who you want to be, no matter what level of knowledge you have, no matter like where you're coming from in the world, you can be this person and join this community and be accepted with open arms. And that's one thing that we are personally seeing with our own data points and everything like that is the most successful MMO creators of all time have really hit on this idea of a community aspect that provides value to the user. And when I say value, obviously, play to earn and things like that have been thrown around quite a bit. And that is something that is a part of our universe. But you can't only have the value be derived monetarily because then instead of, instead of it being play to earn, it becomes work to earn. And it's kind of like that guy or girl who loves to go to the gym and then they become a personal trainer and then they hate going to the gym. If the only value you're deriving from using our platform or anything like that is monetary, excuse me, is monetary value, then you're probably going to not play that for a while. Whereas if you're actually going to become part of something that's bigger than yourself, this like big community with the addition of the monetary value, that's when you see like this like game-changing, disrupting kind of new idea that, that we're trying to really, really push out there. Yeah. I mean, I can liken that to almost having a podcast conversation. It's a conversation. And if the end goal here was to do this and have a return on the other end that was going to generate new business for us, that could get old. And I get it. Some people might like that. But the benefit is I get to learn about all these things. I get to meet someone <laughs> fascinating like yourself. And then there's all these other benefits. Maybe my daughter can listen to it one day like, Forget all those other things. If that stuff happens, that's great, right? That's a bonus. We all need to live and you know pay our bills and whatnot and do the things that we need or want to do. But 
that is another aspect of it. And it's interesting because I told you, like my daughter watches anime. So as a parent who didn't, you know, I have to learn about it and I want to support that. And I do see you drop these two words in there, creativity and community. And I see that with her or any of her friends or any of these other people. My business partner likes anime. Someone else who works at her firm loves anime. And I see their creativity and their community ways as it relates to anime shine as a result of that. There's a lot of people like, oh, it's very dark and it's scary. And should kids be watching this? Like, like as a parent or someone who doesn't, but has seen it and watches their daughter, like, what's your thought on anime on today's kids and today's culture? Anime is an effect on today's culture. I personally think it's, and I have to use myself as an example. I, I personally think it's it's actually very beneficial for children because in a lot of different animes, they teach you these like the underlying themes and values of the anime are things that you want your child to take in and ingrain into their own lives. And it's like themes such as like always stay true to your friends, like don't ever leave your friends high and dry, be yourself, don't let people tell you you can't do stuff. Like those. There's a lot of these kind of reoccurring themes in a lot of different animes. Now, there are certain animes which you might want to wait for your children to watch until they reach a certain age. And that's only because they're violent. And it's kind of it's similar to like the rating system for movies today. It's like, would I let my kid watch, you know, this like slasher film when they're like five years old? Probably not. Same way I'm not gonna let them watch like a horror anime when they're too young to really process what's going on. But there's so many other animes out there that, that excite both adults and children because there's just such well-written stories that are appropriate for both adults and children. And that's, that's actually the biggest thing I say when you just mentioned the word creativity. The reason I personally love anime is I feel as if it, you're able to tell stories in anime that are impossible to tell with like real-world mediums based on the technology we currently have. And the reason for that is just like certain things that are animated, like we don't have the technology to make a CGI that is going to emulate what we just saw in this animated film. Right. But we can illustrate it. And it's like it makes the story and it makes your connection to these characters even more because you get to see this like different immersive level of personality because it's illustrated rather than it's some random or some real world person doing like a real world cosplay of the anime. So it's very important in terms of creativity and, and the underlying theme. So I'd say yes, 100%. Yeah. Especially when we start going into this, down this path of creating content, right? Not being a consumer, but actually creating content. Because you'll often see people who got started, they emulated or they copied. Like I'll walk in, my daughter's drawing pictures, right? Of anime characters. And that then becomes her own characters that she wants to make up and draw. And so like for these kids today that are going to be, they're going to be in this world, this NFT world, whether your parents or people who aren't really on it, like it's going to be here, I would imagine in some capacity and, and who knows what that looks like perhaps. But I think that's a important thing to understand that like when you watch it and let it happen. And like you said, like anything else moderation, have to understand what they're watching, ask questions, talk to people like yourself instead of just judging it on the front end of it, because it is very easy to just discard it, right? It's funny. I'm on a very long journey of convincing my girlfriend to become an anime fan. And, <laughs> and she accepts it. It's just for her, it's literally the animation aspect of it. She needs to get past the fact that it's animated. But one of the things that she is realizing with watching anime is like, when we watch a normal movie, I can usually guess the plot 
or the the storyline of the movie because I've already seen this same exact storyline play out tons of times in an anime series, and it's still a good storyline. It's just the technology just caught up for the movie to make it happen. I saw this ten years ago in this show that did this and that. And she gets mad at me because I'm like, I think this is going to happen. Yeah. And then it happens. And she's yeah. like, you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. My wife does the same thing. I mean, she, if it's too easy to predict, it's like, all right, what's the next thing that we're watching? That's hilarious. <laughs> so back on the NFT side of things, right? So you go to the outcast doubt world. You see these faces, right? You're creating these, right? And they're on... Like, tell me about it, I guess. Like, because you have tatted lawyer, right? And... Yes, of course. You own that, right? Is that an NFT? That is an NFT here. Okay. I don't know if you can yep. actually see a picture, but this I is can. my phone case. But this is me. I, I was actually the one who designed this specific NFT. And my three other business partners, they actually also designed their own NFT with the agreement that we would never sell it, never transfer it. It, it, would, it would always be ours because the way we designed it, they'd be the most rare NFTs out of the entire collection. So there's literally like a non-sale agreement. And... We zeroed out their like their trade stats. So it's like if you go and look on one of those rarity websites, we'll be at the bottom, even though technically we are the most rare of the NFTs. But essentially, the creative aspect that comes out of this, I have to give all the credit to my business partner, John, in the Philippines, who we refer to him as MX. And he spent months just pouring into every single detail, every single line of like these characters to create them. And and the artwork actually is still going on because one of the things about our collection, unlike a lot of collections, is you can actually have two of these outcast NFTs fuse them together to create like a, a brand new outcast NFT with like different traits and armor and weapons and things like that. So he spends a painstaking amount of time like on each little line because we're all somewhat perfectionists on my team. And the artwork that he's come out with is so incredible. And, and it finds its inspirations, you'll probably see when you look at the artwork in the anime world, in the Star Wars world, in the steampunk world. And you can see a lot of like their clothing, their armor finds or has like small nuances or similarities to some of the things that you might see in like, you know, any of the Star Wars movies or any of the millions of Star Wars TV shows that they have now. Or like you see how it's combined with like these anime aspects. Because like I said, we combined, we have over 60 years, 70 years of anime loving experience combined between the four of us. So it's very easy to kind of articulate that into the artwork and into the overall idea of the outcast. Yeah. And it's going to appeal to the people that have that same type of passion for it. Okay. So I walk in or my kids walk in or someone like that. And you're trying to explain like, NFTs, right? We know non-fungible tokens, right? We know it's traded with Ethereum, right? On the blockchain for the most part. And so, and, and those things are all ever-changing, right? Like what we see today and when this podcast comes out in a few years down the road, things are going to look different. But from a fundamental, which I think is a very important piece to this, is not losing the fundamental piece of it, right? So what is an NFT? So the best way to explain an NFT, obviously people are like, it's a non-fungible token. And they're like, okay, yeah. hey, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So the best way to explain it is to... It's essentially this one-of-a-kind unique thing that does not have a one-to-one -one exchange. So when I say does not have a one-to-one -one exchange, you can imagine a dollar, a US dollar, right? If I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar, that's a one-to-one -one exchange. That dollar is of equal value to that other dollar. They're identical, essentially. Whereas an NFT, they might be worth the same value, but they are not a one-to-one -one exchange. It's kind of like if I gave you a painting and you gave me a completely different painting back, 
they might have the same value monetarily set by society, but those two paintings are not the same. Similar to how like the, the deed to your house is a one-of-a-kind deed. The Mona Lisa is a one-of-a-kind. NFTs are this one-of-a-kind thing. And what a lot of people don't realize, like the beauty, if you really get into the, the technology behind the NFT, for the past 10 years, we have been able to sell digital services, right? And when I say digital services, I mean like, like Netflix, you have a subscription, that's a digital service. Or Microsoft Word, that's a digital service. So up until 2017, we had no way to sell digital goods because there was no way to prove ownership over digital goods. Now, with the advancements in the blockchain technology and the application of NFTs, for the first time in history, we can prove ownership over digital goods, which opens the door for this entirely new industry of, of digital sales and digital goods, which is why we see huge companies like Nike buying these NFT wearable companies for millions of dollars. Because if people like it or not, we are getting more and more digital as, as time goes on. Right now, I think the statistic is like 50% of our time is spent in the real world and then 50% of our time is spent looking at screens. So that only is expected to increase as time goes on, especially when we get these augmented reality glasses and things like that. So with NFTs, you're going to be able to have this like entirely digital world where you can actually prove what you own in this world to the point where your digital persona might be more valuable than your real world life. If that makes sense, and we're already we're already starting to see like small iterations of this with Web two, with like your social media page. Like for me, I'm the tatted lawyer on TikTok with ninety something thousand followers. Like that in itself is its own currency. Like in my in my real world, maybe I'm not that flashy. I don't know, but everybody sees your online persona and they see that account and they're like, "Whoa!" Well, no, that's right because when I was doing research and I come across who you are, it's the tatted lawyer, right? And I can find you, right? I could see you in other areas, right? I could see it on TikTok, but the tatted lawyer is what sticks out. And it, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like being that, it's not that you're a different person. You're the same person. It's just coming out maybe in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it is fascinating to see how that works. Okay. So going back on, you mentioned artwork. So the painting behind me, my mom did that painting and she's got others like it, whether it's a banner or on canvas, we'll start with that, let's say. That's hanging on the wall, right? I could take it down and I can give it to you and you can pay me for it. I could gift it to you and all those things. It doesn't matter what it is, but we can turn that into a digital product, correct? Of course. And then that product still stays. Maybe there's an agreement that, that the original piece doesn't go anywhere. You keep it in your house or you burn it and that's gone, right? That would probably be the concept of what to do with it if you're going to turn it into an NFT. But we can keep it in the family, let's say. When you digitize that product, now it's out there. And there's one of them, let's say, right? I mean, then you could do... There's other things you could do, right? Then you can give them access to the artist and turn it into... Have a smart contract behind it, right? You see where I'm going with it. Like, yes. go with that. Like, essentially, if I'm understanding correctly, like, if I have a traditional piece of artwork, like, how can that translate into this new medium of NFTs? And Because I think artists, and I'll say this too, and we'll get into this as well, but like, artists have been like, treated me, I don't say unfairly. It's just, it's the market is what the market is, right? If you can only sell it for a dollar, then that's what the market says, right? If you play basketball and you're Jamal Murray, you can make a lot of money, right? Because that's the market yes. says that. So, <laughs> but at the same time, artists have had to go through middle art galleries and they have to go, you know, musicians had to go, you know, got to get an agent, right? And you have to 
pay a lot of other people before you get anything. Well, now we're able to cut out the middle person. So I'm just throwing that out there. That's why I'm fascinated by because I'm surrounded by a lot of different people in the creative world. What can artists do like that example that I just shared? So I personally think of the NFT renaissance as a revolution for artists because if you think about how society worked before, like let's just go back 10 years ago. If somebody said, hey, I got an art degree from so, such and such school, you were like, oof, you're not going to make a lot of money in your lifetime. Whereas now with NFTs, that is the complete opposite. Essentially, they promote this creativity amongst artists. And so, for example, what you just said, artists usually have to go through this middleman. They're usually taken advantage of quite often. So with these new NFTs that prove ownership, they can easily deploy their NFT. Like, so, for example, the piece of artwork on their wall. You can easily turn that into an NFT. Like, All you have to do is just kind of take that and use Adobe Photoshop and, and literally create like a, a video, excuse me, a, a file and then deploy it on any one of the different various smart contract enabled blockchains. Once you do that and it's sold on the secondary market, how it's set up in the smart contract is you can get royalties off of every single sale, secondary sale, even if you're not involved at all. Because that's like the biggest issue that I've seen in terms of the artists that I was able to speak to in my own lifetime is they would sell their artwork for a good price, like let's say $1,000. And then an art collector would somehow like do a lot of promotion and then sell it for themselves for like $500,000. And the original artist isn't getting any of that secondary sale. And there's actually like laws right now where the laws are analyzing, oh, should they have rights to the secondary sale proceeds or blah, blah, blah. Whereas NFTs, they circumvent all that governmental red tape. And it's like, it's programmed in that if it's sold, you will get this amount of money into your crypto wallet. And so this is like this empowering thing for artists because now they can release their own collections. They don't have to really deal with a middleman. And if this collection is the most popular collection in the world, they're going to consistently get rewarded for the hard work they put in creating it in the first place. And that's something that's completely different and revolutionary for the art world. And I'm personally excited to see what it grows into and where it can go from here. Right. So in that smart contract, the original artist, whoever's working with that person, when they create that contract, they're setting it up. Is it as simple as like 30% of all royalties will come back to the original artist? Yeah. Okay. And that'll then obviously perhaps change the value of who might want to buy it. Because if this dealer wants it and they feel like that's an unfair number, then they're not, maybe they don't want it because, hey, that seems too high. If this was more like 10%, I would have done it, right? Just any... Agreed. And most of the contracts that I've seen have been more along the lines of like 5 to 10% royalties. Okay. As an attorney, I'm curious too, and bounce around here, are you helping people? Like, Do attorneys help draw out these contracts? Is the attorney world concerned because maybe we don't need an attorney because it's on the blockchain. So now we're getting into the point of like, who else gets left behind in this is the attorneys that really don't want to be a part of it and against it. So it's funny that you say that. So the legal field is a very slow moving, archaic field. Like I would say that a lot of things in the law were accelerated because of the pandemic in terms of technology. Like things that we could have been doing for years were immediately implemented because we have the technology to do it and it kind of makes sense as opposed to like what we have a law work from like the 1970s up until the pandemic. So with that being said, a lot of lawyers don't really understand this space because they're not even their mindset isn't even aimed towards it. And recently, since about 2018, you've started to see a lot more lawyers starting to like pay attention because exactly what you said, will smart contracts replace lawyers one day? Maybe. Not 
completely, but it definitely might because a smart contract is a self-executing contract. So it doesn't need anybody to enforce it because it's already self-enforcing. So why would you need a lawyer if you already have a contract that at the very beginning, you know exactly what will happen if X, Y, and Z happen, which is why for a while I was actually studying Solidity myself programming because because I wanted to be one of the only lawyers in the world who could program their own smart contract and write a legitimate legal contract. Because as these companies get into this space, get into the NFT world, get into the crypto world, like these are going to be questions that, you know, what if the smart contract, is it valid in this jurisdiction? Is the government going to accept it? We don't know because it's so new. And if you look at what Congress is doing in the United States, at least, it doesn't really seem as if they're too knowledgeable on what's really going on in this space, which is why you see so many companies not bringing their crypto companies to the United States in the first place, including my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're seeing people, engineers and creative people at large companies like Google or Facebook say, I'm out of this job and I'm going into the NFT, Web3, NFTs, right? Like just stopping, full stop. And so when you start seeing those types of things happen, you have to take notice. Like, I'm not saying go hop on the next, you know, wave of what's going to take place, but that's why I'm fascinated by it, right? Like, what's going on here? Like, we have to pause and we have to take a look and we have to adjust. And we, it's like an attorney. It's like, okay, what is happening here? Whether you like it or not, you know, you hear people all the time be like, I can't believe these kids are making money off of YouTube. And you could have that mindset or you could pause to try to understand why they are, how that's working more kids watch that game than say the college basketball game that was on TV last night or than the football game, right? I mean, you see the amount of views that a show on on YouTube could get. And then you don't understand how much actual work goes into creating those types of things. So I want to ask this too. So like, and I'll use these examples because I think this could relate to just anybody. So my wife does a lot of things and she's written music, right? So she's got song lyrics. She's not a singer. They've produced music, right? So they have songs. If someone like that were to then go out there and create, because you can create the smart contract to have the royalties attached to it. Because one of the issues is for a songwriter is it's so hard to get that song in front of someone who's going to sing it as a label, right? Can they put those lyrics out there? And could that, like doing it with books, I don't see why not. Could they put those lyrics and have that purchased on the blockchain just the same way? I mean, how would that look? Yeah, 100%. Actually, it's funny. The projection for the year 2022, the two biggest areas of the NFT crypto space that people are projecting to be the biggest are metaverses and music NFTs. And the reason for that is because exactly what you just said, how they're doing with books, it's, it's the same thing as these creators, these musicians. They don't have to rely on these big, huge corporations that are going to take advantage of them and contract, me, contractually take advantage of them and steal you know, half of their profits to have their supply chain, they can actually now put this on a blockchain and sell it as an NFT. And the proof is where there's actually a bunch of indie artists, the name of the actual company escapes it, but there's a bunch of indie artists that just released NFTs that they're, they're not big names at all. They're very average name people. They're not superstars in, in the slightest. They all sold out within like four minutes or something like that. And you look at the, the revenue that you can make from Spotify as an artist. You need like a certain amount of streams to make a certain amount of money. Right. These people made the same amount of money that you'd make on Spotify having 21 million streams that just by making these songs into NFTs and selling them that way. And it's because the money's going directly to them. There's no middleman cutting them out. 
their fans are now able to kind of like invest into their career. So it's kind of this like added step of immersion, especially for musicians where you can add the, like a utility to the NFT that like if you buy this song, you get a, a part of the proceeds of the song for the plays or you get to have backstage passes to my next concert or something like that. And it's creating this like community amongst the artists and its fans that don't really exist today on normal Web2 platforms. Because right now, your only interaction with the person you like, the musician you like, is maybe liking their video on, on TikTok or Instagram or something like that. Whereas now it's like, hey, I have an actual part of your career. Like I'm holding your song. I own this song and I can sell it. I can do anything. But this song gives me rights to you that I normally wouldn't have. So it's this like revolution in the music space that we're going to be seeing. So the question I hear someone asking me right now is, okay, great. I have this song. I have this piece of art. How do I get this as an NFT? Is it on OpenSea? Like, is it simple? Is it complicated? Right. And I think these things will become easier and easier as time goes by. That's what I've continued to hear. But like, okay, I want to get going right now. At least because I would always say, let's go dabble in it. Let's try it out. Let's see what happens. That's for me is the best way to learn. So, okay, it sounds great. I want to do it. Like, how do I get this thing out there? As I was saying, so like you see how certain Web2 applications have become easier to use as time goes on for like the average user. That's going to be what starts to mainstream people more into the NFT space and in the crypto world is like, can I, who I don't have any experience in coding or technology at all, and I'm literally just a musician, how can I make an NFT? Well, these companies that are organizing are essentially making this possible for all these people. And where can they sell these NFTs? Well, essentially, it's on all of the NFT marketplaces that people are using now. And what my company is actually doing is we are creating our own NFT marketplace that has to do with our metaverse. And in that NFT marketplace, kind of like what you said prior about content, like we want content to be made in our metaverse, in Andromeda. And the more content that's made in Andromeda, the more Andromeda is going to grow and become this like stabilized metaverse. So if it's content from creating games to creating wearables to creating music that can be used somehow in the metaverse by the other users in the metaverse, then it's going to become very, very valuable and very, very powerful. And that's really what we're seeing. And I think, I don't know if I'd mentioned, but we are creating an anime series tied to this NFT collection that we are the outcasts. And one of the things that we will be doing is every time each one of our theme songs, because how animes work is as they progress, their theme song changes to kind of like match the vibes of like what's happening in the story at that time. Every single one of our theme songs, we're going to be selling as NFTs. So it's like you could be a fan of this show and actually own the, the opening music to it. And then owning the music gives you commercial IP rights. You can go and do whatever you want with that music. You can play it on your podcast or as like your opening song, whatever. And it's just like, again, adding this even more immersive experience into what you'd be doing normally. It kind of just adds that wrinkle. Yeah. The value obviously depends on, right? So like if that anime series takes off and becomes the top hit and you can wherever, you can stream it on Netflix, it's the number one show there. But now let's say when we go to Ethereum, right? Like the value has dropped, right? As we're talking, right? And this is going to change again a week from now. Who knows, right? So I'm not speculating or anything along those lines at the same time like there's two sides of the value is that right because like the value is it's worth something because i see how well this is done this nft that i bought but on the blockchain if i sell it it's going to be worth less because the value you know explain that to me the best way i can probably explain that is this actually happened to me a lot of people right now 
still value cryptocurrency in fiat. And that is not the point of cryptocurrency. So it's like when you say, oh, one Ethereum is worth, I think right now it's like 3,200 United States dollars. To me, in the crypto market, one Ethereum is worth one Ethereum. Okay. And I actually started to really adopt this kind of sense when I started buying a bunch of NFTs because I wasn't buying an NFT that was worth $1,000. I was buying an NFT that was worth 0.1 Ethereum. And so my mind started denillionating these NFTs in their Ethereum cost as opposed to in their like fiat cost. And so like right now, Ethereum is down of the, like the, the high from November. But one Ethereum still equals one Ethereum. And it's like, that's kind of where the value is derived. It has nothing to do with like the fiat dollar amount value. And you see that more and more where it's kind of like, as these governments continue to print money the way they are, people are going to start looking to these things that have a cap supply that can't be create new things to kind of fight against this idea that, oh, we can just print money whenever we need to, to make something happen. Like that's not sustainable. And that's where crypto is going to come in and kind of like, change things because once you have that scarcity, which is like a really big part of NFTs and why NFTs are a big thing, the scarcity part, once you have that real scarcity amongst like a currency or amongst like a collectible or anything like that, that in itself is what brings value to it. And you see this now with like different play to earn games who are struggling because maybe they have like inflation in their own game because they never had like a cryptocurrency cap. Whereas now you're seeing some like games learning from this mistake because it was just like one of those early industry mistakes that you'd never even think of. And they're, they're now having a cap on their intergame currency. So inflation doesn't get crazy. And there's actually like this like sustainable, stable value that's built in for this long time haul rather than, hey, we can create as many as we want. And the value is going to be very volatile because at any time, I can make a hundred million more of these things. And now the hundred million that you own is worth half. <laughs> right, right. The creatives, and we talked about this before, and I also want to bring in athletes, right? Because you've partnered with a lot of athletes. So you're seeing these people that have this energy or creativity or athletic ability get into this world, right? What is it about athletes that you're seeing? Because I think it fits in the same way because like the way they go about things, it's striving for excellence. And a lot of times no one can see it because really what you see when they're playing the game, that's happened before. Now they're just, they're playing the game. It's so much has gone before. And a lot of times it's like an artist is when you write the book, that was the years before that you put that book together. And now you have the final copy, but it was all the stuff that happened before. And athletes, a lot of times I think fit that bill. There's a lot of habits and mindset and you know all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's part of it. They are seeing the opportunity here as it relates to athletes and NFT. So what was it that drew athletes that you've seen personally because you've working with a lot of athletes and you can mention those athletes and who they are and we can share that in the show notes. But what was it about athletes and connecting with them on this project? So the reason that we partner with these athletes is you figure who do people trust in this world? And some people might say, oh, online social media influencers who are... Which I personally disagree because as basically how Web2 is built now is they're trying to sell you on things all the time. It doesn't matter if they believe in them or not, they're trying to sell you on them. Whereas athletes, people trust athletes because you know, it's just these people that you, you're watching on the TV, you're rooting for them, you're cheering for them. It's that sense of community like we discussed before of like, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I see Noah Fan. He has an outcast. He's advocating for this project. I'm going to go check it out myself because I trust Noah Fan because he's on my team. 
And it's a way to bring these people who might not have heard of NFTs or, or they heard of it or they don't know what it is. And they see this guy that they trust or this girl that they trust who they respect. And they're like, wow, I'm going to check it out. And the, the cool part about this is we've actually seen those data points already of exactly this happening and people coming into our Discord or coming into our websites where they're like, hey, I'm here because I saw this athlete has it and I want to learn more. And then they join the community because the community is like, yes, please join us. Like, we're a few for you. And that's the way, in my opinion, that you're going to get more of the mainstream in is if you combine this new technology with recognizable figures that they're comfortable with. And you see it now with like Jimmy Fallon, you see it with Paris Hilton. The other day, they were talking about Board Ape Yacht Club and how they're part of this community. And that's primetime television. You know what I mean? Six months ago, you'd never imagine that NFTs are being talked about so freely on primetime television. So that was our strategy when we were, when we were partnering with these athletes. It's like, find these athletes that people trust who understand themselves what we're trying to do. And then you'll see the, the just natural progression of people being like, oh, let me explore this more. This isn't just this like JPEG that you can right-click and save. This is something legitimate and something even more. That was like the point of the athletes that we partnered with. Yeah. That right there with that connection, because I was like, when we built SE or Sports Epreneur, originally like there was this way of, it's the ultimate icebreaker, sports that is. And there's so many other aspects of that. And you just said it as it relates to the NFT world. This guy for the Denver Broncos, this person for the Colorado Rockies or whatever, that resonates with me. It's at least something that I can pay attention to, whether I do anything with it or not. But if there's enough people paying attention, someone in this more and more and more and over time, it's become more mainstream and more normal. And I think that is such a good way to look at it because it's no different than if we watch Russell Westbrook walk into the arena wearing some clothes and we could be like, what is that? There are people out there that want to buy those sneakers that want to buy that button-down shirt that he's wearing. Whatever that is, right? That's it, right? And there's so many aspects of all the things that you talked about, and it goes back to that community feel. It's that, I'm a fan of anime. You're a fan of anime. Those types of people can connect and do it in a way that's not so... Like the Web2 way. Is there a way we can take it to a different level? And I think you said the right-click on a JPEG, because that's a lot of times like, well, I can have the same image that you have. I could copy and paste, and that could be my Twitter profile picture, just the same as yours. I could copy you, but I don't own it. So I can't... And now you can't do it because that's a different one, right? Well, let's say you could sell it, right? Or you could have royalties off of it. I can't, right? And people can prove it because it's either is on the blockchain or it's not on the blockchain. You even talked about a deed of a house. I've heard this with title. We closed on a house and it was interesting because I was looking at the line items and here's the title. Here's the cost of what that was. It was something stupid. And it was like, a few hundred dollars at least. And I'm like, what did they even do? Like, they just pulled a file and they wrote a number down and that was the end of it. Where it's like, imagine a time when we're selling our houses on the blockchain. What is that title office doing now? Nothing, right? Exactly. I actually almost opened the title law firm because in Florida, property is king. I was actually in the process of opening my own title insurance law firm when I started doing this. And I ended up closing the law firm one week after actually filing the paperwork to open it to go 100% into the web free world. But it's exactly what you're saying. We, in the future, we shouldn't need title insurance because we don't need to prove ownership versus somebody in the past 
because everything is on this ledger that's available to everyone who ever wants to see it. So I actually have a few colleagues right now who are working on projects like this to... They're creating entire neighborhoods, like brand new neighborhoods. So they own all the land, brand new neighborhoods that don't require any sort of titles. And they're selling, instead of selling the actual house, they're selling you an NFT. And that's your, that's the deed to your house. That's the, the title insurance. That's the contract. And no one ever can take that away from you because it was the first thing that was ever built on this land. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's where we're going with this. There's so many resources out there. And I would encourage anyone to just read about it, pay attention to it, listen to podcasts. I mean, I don't even know if there's a lot of books out there. I think the books that we could be reading are is like Snow Crash, right? Like you talk about the person in it, like pizza delivery driver, or actually when he's in the metaverse, he's killing everybody, right? With samurai swords. And it's like, because that's a different universe. And again, and that book wasn't written yesterday. That's been some years that that book's been out. But podcasts or articles or having conversations with people like yourself to just not to convince yourself, but to just educate yourself and learn about it. That's the important thing about this space is my advice to people who are, who are just thinking of this space or they're curious about it is don't just write it off because you don't know enough about it or you think you assume you know enough about it. Because let's be honest, back in 2012, I had the opportunity to invest in Bitcoin. And I had a friend who was really gung-ho about it. And I was at that time, I had this more conservative, traditional finance kind of mindset where I was like, oh, this is just magic internet money. What do you go away? Right, right. And I just kind of wrote it off. And then it wasn't until 2016 when I really started paying attention and, and like learning as much as I possibly could about it. But if I had invested, if I had actually learned about it back then, then you know, I would have quite a bit of Bitcoin right now, I'm sure. And things would have been different. And, and the same thing for NFTs. When NFTs started coming around in 2017, my first thought was, what are these? Because the initial one was CryptoKitties. And, and it was like this like kind of weird thing that if you saw, you're like, what is this? And I was like, what is this? But then my mind was like, hey, you did this already with crypto all these years ago and you regret it. Like, Don't write this off just because you assume it might be one thing when it actually could be this like giant other thing. And that's what I want to say to, to people today is like, go learn about it before you draw your conclusions about it. Because it's not this like permeating idea that it's a JPEG picture that you can right-click and save and now everybody owns it. Like, If you actually take the time to like look at this, you're going to understand, holy crap, the technology and software behind this is leaps and bounds ahead of what we thought it was. And it's like the world essentially can change just because we can prove digital ownership over goods now. And if you look at like the global GDP, which measures quite a bit, the global GDP is made up of 60% services and 40% goods. So if right now the digital market was 100% services and all of a sudden now we can prove ownership over digital goods, there is so much runway in terms of what can be imagined and what this can evolve into that we haven't even thought of yet. That's why you see this mass exodus from like these traditional jobs from all of these like very what you'd consider bright minds in terms of like you know doctors lawyers tech people like getting out because they see this this wild west this like brand new frontier essentially of possibility that people have not tapped into even in the slightest yet that's what makes it so exciting i like how you tell us that 
you weren't all in on this day one. Because that's sometimes we run into people that were about Bitcoin the second they heard about it, right? And maybe it wasn't 2012. Maybe they got into it later. And it's like, this thing can only go up. There's no way this thing can go down. There's, it's almost like too much. It's like, okay, man, I get it. I know you like it. But like, I like the fact that it's like, no, man, I missed it the first wave. And I was there and I didn't believe in it. And I took some time and it took a lot of time, right? And then many years later, something else reappears. And it's like, you'd been exposed to it in a different way. And it was like eye-opening in that. And I agree because it's like, when we think back and we started this conversation talking about like, whether it's sports, but even into my daughter and her love of anime and drawing pictures and all these things, because I'm like looking at her to say, well, there's so much conversation about college right now and education. And where do we go from here? It's like, you think about the cost of college. And I'm not saying my kids aren't going, I don't know yet. It's an opportunity that exists, but it's like the cost of college keeps going up, but the return or the the value that the college has provided has not gone up, which is mind blowing. Like it's gone up what six, seven percent a year, and they you're not getting anything different than you got ten years ago, right? Kids are graduating, and the technology is moving so fast that if you get an engineering degree from NC State, and we've heard this, that those kids need to be taught engineering after graduating. And that's not to say it's not a good school; it is, but the things are moving too fast to even keep up with that. So what do kids do today? So I'm looking like my daughter could draw her pictures, create her new anime characters and turn those into NFTs. And I'm not saying, oh, she's going to make it big. It's like, if that's something that interests her on her own time and she would like to dabble in that, why would we not help and learn and and advocate for something along those lines? I agree. And and even more to your point that the return from college isn't what it used to be, what we were all essentially sold as a 90s kid and later, but we were sold this idea of college. It's not the same idea that our parents had or our grandparents. And one of the ways I can illustrate that is one of our company advisors, he's run like giant Fortune 500 companies before. And one of the things he told me is when he would interview software developers for a position, if they had a college degree, he wouldn't hire them. And the reason for it was because if they had this four-year college degree in software development, that means they were forced into this box that whatever institution they learned it from wanted them to be in which takes away from their idea to think outside of the box. And they don't want these people who are in the box. They want these free thinkers who are outside of the box. So it's like literally the fact that they went to college was the reason they didn't get a job. And you see it across the board in so many industries from from marketing to technology to even interaction. Like why are trends happening the way they're happening? And the old way of doing things can't really explain it because the old way of doing things doesn't really touch upon like what is happening in society. And you see it in marketing, you see it with TikTok. Like, you know, the traditional marketing was you want to present this perfect family that was perfect. Right. Now it's proven on TikTok, like people want more authenticity. Like they don't want perfect. They don't want these curated images that you see on Instagram. They want real. And that's why user-generated content is going to be such like this massive thing. And there's a paper that was actually written by Bill Gates back in the 90s about the internet. It was entitled Content is King. And that was like the theme of this paper was like the more content you're able to generate that gives value to other people, like the more successful whatever you're doing is going to be. So it's like now in the Web3 world, you're not just creating this like mindless content that you can blast out on the internet, like how Web1 was with blogs or how Web2 is currently with social media like Instagram. Now you can actually have ownership over the content that you create. And you're going to derive some sort of value from creating this content, whereas now you don't really get that. And that's where this, like, I want to use the word renaissance comes into mind because I really do believe, like, we are at this, like, 
precipice of this new paradigm that a lot of people don't know about yet only because they don't know what they don't know. And as more and more people are exposed to it, they're going to see like, holy crap, I can write this blog and actually have ownership of it. It's not like WordPress now owns this blog. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's it. And I was just thinking that. It's like we're having this podcast conversation because writing's not going away. Conversations aren't going away. Podcasting, all this, this stuff is growing along with it. It's then how do you apply it with an NFT of some sort or in Web3, like you say. So you take this podcast example. How would that then become an NFT? Right. So imagine it this way. Like imagine... I'm going to use my metaverse as an example, if that's okay. Imagine if you had this podcast in Andromeda, right? And in it, own a plot of land where that's where your podcast from. Other people in Andromeda can come to Andromeda and like say they're paying like a shard, like one Andromeda shard, which is the currency of our metaverse, to listen to your podcast every day. That means they're not really spending anything to listen. You're now having ownership and getting monetary value for having this podcast that is separate from how it's set up now. I'm not sure if you're on, on Apple, but like I'm sure you have to get a certain amount of listeners per month to get some sort of return or a certain amount of subscriptions to the podcast to get some sort of return. Like imagine if it's cutting out that middleman and there's no amount of subscriptions. It's just like, oh, here's one shard. I'm going to listen to your podcast today. And you now have this value that you're giving to them and they're happy to give you the shard to be able to listen. It's this like essentially just cutting out the middleman and, and taking the power out of these giant companies who are like, we're going to give you two cents for every thousand listeners. And it's like, oh, now I can just let the listeners decide what the value of what I'm providing is. And that's like this new world that is so beautiful and I can't wait to explore it. Yeah, yeah. I could see it, man. I, I, hear, <laughs> I see it with everything you all are creating. I see it on TikTok and you reference TikTok. First of all, tell people how they find you on TikTok. But like, and there's that video that you have. It's 1.2 million views, right? Like you're doing stuff on TikTok because that still exists because that's a great way to learn about people, learn about new things and whether it's be entertained and educated. I and mean, there's so many different... Before it was like 14-year-old kids, it's way different, right? There's so much there. And that algorithm, I mean, is mind-blowing, right? The addiction, if... I would dare anybody to go in there without realizing within two minutes, even if you're not an addictive person, that you'll get caught up in it for a few minutes. There's no doubt about it. But like your TikTok experience, I mean, you're, you seem to be all in. You have a huge following there. You get thousands of views. You get 1.2 million views, right? Right. It's funny. So I actually... I downloaded Musical.ly in 2018 before it became TikTok because I had no idea what it was. And I, I had read Gary Vee's book, actually. And he mentioned TikTok or Musical.ly. And I was like, oh, what is this? Let me find out. And I spent two and a half hours on this app the minute I opened it. And I immediately deleted it because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm a lawyer. I do not have time to be <laughs> like watching this app for two and a half hours. And then when quarantine started, my girlfriend was already on TikTok herself. And she was just like, oh, just download it, download it. She's trying to get me to download it every day. And then finally I did. And the one thing that essentially was my pleasant surprise was this idea that it was only teenagers dancing was just completely wrong. It was whatever you wanted your TikTok to be. So like my TikTok, I've learned so many things about so many different areas because there's people who go on and just educate you about these things. And you're like, wow, I can now go here, here, and here and learn more and more about this topic that I've never known about before. Like, you know, like real estate land trusts, like anything you want to learn. And then on top of that, I'm a gamer, naturally. I'm 
had a gaming company. Call of Duty came out at that time. And I will say I became a better Call of Duty player because of TikTok, because I would see streamers doing certain things on TikTok and I'd be like, I can do that. And I'll do it in the game. And then I became a better player. So it's like, it's not just this like thing for entertainment. I actually think TikTok and where social platforms are going into the Web3 world can really enhance your own experience in your own life. And that's actually one of the one of the main things we want to do in Andromeda is we want it to be this like fun community environment. But we also want to create this environment that if you want to go and learn something, you can go and learn something like like kind of like how Udeme, you can go on Udeme and pay twenty dollars and have a course. We want that kind of atmosphere in our metaverse where it's like I'm going to go in the metaverse. I can make a business. I can become a tavern owner or a sword maker or something. But I can also learn how to do my taxes, or I can also learn how to code Solidity or literally anything you want. That's what we're trying to foster as well. Man, I love that. It's interesting because there was a time now, like my son was on TikTok. What are you doing? Like, you know, I check all these things out, but there's a time where like it's a lot. And then I heard this. It's like, ask them what they're learning. What are they watching? What did you learn on TikTok today? And some of the stuff they reference, I'm like, my God, they learned more in TikTok than they would if they were like sat in some sort of lecture hall. It's unbelievable, really, when you think about that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it can go different ways, right? We all know that with social media, right? It can get toxic really fast. But I love how you explain it and the energy around it all, man. So how do people learn about you? How do they learn about Outcast and anything else you want to share? Yeah. So if you go to outcast.world, and that's O-U-T-K-A-S-T dot world, you can see essentially everything that we're setting up for our company. The, the link to the white papers in there, I would suggest going to the link and reading the white paper if you're interested at all in this, because that is going to have provide you all the information. It's written in a way that's very easily digestible for the non-tech type of people. And you can get a real understanding of this whole immersive world that we're trying to develop. Because when people talk about Ready Player One, that's really what people relate the metaverse to. Ready Player One, Ready Player One. We are trying to build the first step of Ready Player One. So it's kind of like Facebook 1.0 did not look like Facebook as it is now. Everybody has to start somewhere. So it's like, we are starting here. And this is what we hope it grows and evolves into as the technology continues to become more accessible and better itself. So you can go learn about it at outcast.world. Also, andromeda.gg. That's going to be the official like entrance point to Andromeda. And, and that's Andromeda spelled with a T. A-N-D-R-O-M-E-T-A dot G-G. And it's funny, we picked .gg because we're all gamers and GG means good game in the gaming world. So we're like, .gg works perfect. Yeah. And then if you want to find out more about myself, you can find me on TikTok at Tatted Lawyer, Instagram on Tatted.Lawyer, Twitter, Tatted Lawyer, or at Michael Satoshi. And it's funny, I actually, I really went into the Tatted Lawyer monocle in the pandemic. My friend's like, why don't you just make all of your socials this? Because it's such a good name and it's a catchy name. And it really, people seem to really like it. And I personally love it myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was very catchy. And it was just, I mean, I loved it. And I think that's, it's a fascinating thing and it's proof of concept, right? Living it and then doing it every day. And I appreciate it, man. This has been so educational. There's just so much. And there's so many other conversations I could sit here and talk about for another couple hours. We can get into Miami. We can get into the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> and we, we catch up when Jamal Murray comes back for the playoff run, that type of stuff, right? Yeah. Things will change for him, right? So, man, Michael, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. This has been amazing. And thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I, this was a wonderful conversation. I hope to come back one day.
One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.